listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. Hi, Jeff. As part of our overarching series and conversations with practice leaders, you've brought us another really great guest. Uh, Brian Griff of Armanino is with us today. He has actually got a really interesting story, and he's going to talk to us really about driving growth in a regional middle market accounting firm and some of the things that he's been a part of over the last seven or eight years, both to drive growth in his practice for the firm and then broader growth for the firm. So Brian, welcome aboard. Thank you for joining us. Maybe you can just start by giving us a quick intro. I know I gave a a high level intro, but I'd like to kind of hear from you kind of what it is you do and a little bit about Armanino. Thanks, Jason. Hi, Jeff. Good to see you again. Uh, (laughs) Glad to be on this program. Thanks for the invite. Really appreciate it. Hopefully I can do a good job on this topic that we've been talking about. But yeah, my name's Brian Griff. I currently run the private equity industry and the transaction advisory practice for Armanino. Armanino is a top 20 public accounting firm that specializes in consulting along with all the audit and tax services that you'd expect from a major firm. We do a lot with technology, not-for-profits, and outsource finance and accounting. Those are a couple of the things that probably differentiates us a little bit from a typical firm, along with having a lot of great people, over 2,500 people across the country, many of which started their careers in big four, like myself. I started my career at Arthur Anderson. I've been working for now almost 30 years this year, but I've spent more time working in corporate than I have in public accounting. So I had a 17-year stint where I served in various C-suite roles for four different companies, public companies that went through an IPO, private family-owned businesses, and also a private equity-owned company where I was the CEO before it was sold to a strategic. And I came back to public accounting where I love being back in the professional services arena as a leader. The transaction practice that I've run helps companies both buy and sell companies. A lot, a lot of it's heavy on the due diligence, all the due diligence services that need to be done to acquire a company or to help prepare a private business to go through a sale process. I hope that gives everybody a little bit of background of what I currently do. So Jason, you can tell he's just a great guy because he's got Anderson blood in him. Well, I was going to say that that he overcame that challenge to his career. But anyway, we, you know, when we set this up, we, we were, you know, we were sort of talking in it before starting the session. You know, Brian, what I found really interesting was, well, of course, there's a lot of twists and turns and sort of, you know, some of the things that you've been a part of. And the thing that I'm most interested in, in hearing about is this journey you went on starting at Brown Smith Wallace when you were trying to unlock growth. You're saying, okay, we've got this regional firm. We want to grow it. How do we do that? So I was hoping you could just sort of talk us through that a little bit. Um, you know, your role at the firm at the time, when this was, and kind of the conversations you were having with within your practice and within the firm about like, you know, how do we grow grow this firm and what are our options? Yeah, let me jump right in on that. So after I was involved in selling the company that I was working at, I was recruited over to Brownsmith Wallace. There were a number of other former Arthur Anderson colleagues of mine that I had started my career with. Uh, And I came over to run the transaction advisory practice and soon uh, joined the executive committee. And I guess, you know, part of this podcast, I think what we wanted to explore was I was not the traditional practice leader where I just 
kind of stuck my head down and worked on delivery services throughout my career. And I think it was instilled with me within Arthur Anderson was always focusing on leadership and leadership development. I think Anderson did a great job of instilling that in their people, trying to train their people. The technical skills always would come, but the leadership skills was something I think that we focused on. And throughout my career, I always took that approach. So when I became a controller, a CFO, I was always looking to develop the leaders underneath me to allow me to delegate some of the day-to-day work to them so I could take on bigger and more important things for my company. And I took that same approach when I joined Brownsmith Wallace, which at the time was not a top 100 firm in the country, but soon grew to be within that top 100 firm. And as part of the executive committee, I worked very closely with the managing partner of the firm, Tony Kalika, who basically were the same age. We had a strong executive committee group, and we focused on a lot of the strategy and challenges of how a regional firm that was 100% headquartered in St. Louis could grow beyond St. Louis. Most people don't consider St. Louis a a high growth city. There is decent development and growth opportunities here. And as a firm, we managed to outgrow our competitors or outgrow the pace of our competitors and soon grew to be within a top 80 firm in the country. But we are constantly challenged by how you can continue to grow. And in my role, I did a lot of financial modeling where I looked at if we were going to continue at the size we were just to give the type of raises that our people would expect to have going forward, it required a significant amount of growth, not to mention all the technology challenges that firms like our size are, are faced with every day. In professional services, probably every industry out there. If you're not keeping up with technology, you're going to fall behind your competitors, especially when you're competing in a market where there's larger companies that have the wherewithal to invest in technology solutions. And so we are constantly looking at how can we grow and continue to create great opportunities for our people and our clients. And as we were exploring the different options to grow, we looked at could we merge other firms into Brownsmith Wallace or not? And we actually did have an experience where we we did do a merger of a smaller firm within St. Louis into our firm. And through that experience, we learned that it's going to be very difficult and challenging to actually execute a merger outside of St. Louis, where we don't have somebody close by and working closely with the new firm and their people and their clients. So as we you know, continue to explore that, we had recognized that we needed a long time ago to be part of a a larger affiliation of firms, a network of firms. And we joined what was then called the Moore Stevens Network of Accounting Firms. It's recently changed its name to Moore Global. And it's a conglomeration of about 350 firms across the world. And as we had grown to the size we became, there were many transactions that I worked on There are many audits, many consulting projects, even tax areas where we needed international support. And even within the United States, there were times we needed industry specific support to help some of our clients. And it really opened up the door and created a lot of opportunities for us to work with other firms to help us. And what was great about that affiliation was we treat each other like clients. So, you know, in my experience, even in working at Arthur Anderson, where I think we, we always felt like we worked well together across offices, there were times you might even call an office for somebody to do an inventory observation. 
And you might not necessarily get the most qualified person to do that inventory observation. But within this more group, we basically treat each other like clients because it can reciprocate. If we need to use the firm in Germany to help on a transaction, there's going to be a time they're going to need to use us to help with some transfer pricing issues with a client of theirs that's in the United States. So that's something that we had reached out to and put together and really embraced the opportunity to utilize our more network to help us grow and do more things for clients that had international needs or specific industry needs that we couldn't serve. So I want to pause you for a second. So you're looking for growth. You're saying we've got to grow faster than, did you have a target that you were you were seeking at the time, like a target growth rate, like you're trying to hit a 15% growth rate or something? Yeah. So uh, 2016, we put together a strategic plan towards yeah. 2020 to identify how much we felt a good aggressive growth target would be to continue to grow and provide you know, the, the benefits to our people and allow us to grow and service our clients. So yeah, we had a target in mind and we felt pretty comfortable that we would achieve that target. But in the process, we continue to explore every avenue of how do we strategically continue to grow the firm for the long term. So were, was, were some of the things that you were doing, you know, the merger of the smaller firm, joining the alliance, was that to hit that growth target or was that in the hopes that you could sort of like smash through the growth target? Like the growth target you thought you could probably hit organically just by, you know, individually running your practices effectively and doing the things a practice leader does to, to drive growth in that sector or, or that space. How did those things fit together? Yeah, I'd say, you know, by being part of the the alliance, you know, we had access to great thought leaders at other firms and yeah. firm leaders who are sharing best practices and ideas. You know, along the way, we realized we needed to specialize by industry, more and more clients, even in the transaction space, or even where you could say, you know, you don't necessarily have to specialize in an industry because we're so good at the technical skills. We were finding clients or prospects coming to us saying, well, we really want somebody who really understands this healthcare niche, or we really understands this distribution type of concept. And so we also embraced, you know, specializing in industries and starting to have industry leaders to go to market with. All those things, you know, needed to be done as we put together our strategic plan and we started executing on that plan. But all the while, we continued to look what's out beyond that three-year strategic plan that we needed to be thinking about. So you felt like you could hit the three-year strategic plan targets through your organic growth activities, the things that you as practice leaders did every day to drive growth. But it was like, okay, but beyond that, we want to grow more than that. And we need to do these other things. That's sort of the gist. I'm also taking away, Jeff, you know, why you call this the most difficult job in the firm. Because Brian's got on his left hand, he's got to drive this practice. On his right hand, he has to have this conversation with his other peers about all these other things that are going to grow the firm at a much broader level and a much different level on a different time horizon. So it's like he's kind of like having to like operate in two realities simultaneously all the time. Yeah, I think the top practice leaders play in that world every day because the life of their practice is only going to be as strong as the life force, if you will, of the firm their symbiotic relationship between the two. And, and there's definitely challenges being in a, an accounting firm of partners versus being in the corporate world. I mean, the corporate world's not simple, but when you have a CEO and a CFO and a chief operating officer and they're dealing with the board, it's not simple to execute growth ideas, but there's less people 
sometimes involved in making those ultimate decisions. And within a partnership, you've got partners who are involved. So practice leaders, you know, not only are involved in helping the entire firm make decisions, they're also playing a role with their fellow partners who are not practice leaders, you know, keeping them informed and engaged on the growth strategies for the firm and, and trying to get everybody on board and rowing in the same direction. So that's your, that's the third arm. I gave you two arms. I have to give you a third arm now. Like, <laughs> yep. the, BS, on the, side. the BS is the third arm. Yeah. So. <laughs> One, two. <laughs> Brian, you, you talked about the life in corporate, life in practice services. You know, your path to becoming a practice leader is not totally unique, but it is unique in that you went out into industry and came back. I'd be curious to know what that journey was like and what you learned by being out after having been in. Did it give you new eyes to see, you know, the professional services world? Yeah. So, you know, when I left Anderson, I was a manager. I was 28, got an opportunity to be a corporate controller to go through an IPO. And, you know, it was a culture shock going from working with the best and the brightest people as you're supervising them who always want to do more and working with your clients and CFOs and you go to a corporate environment and all of a sudden you've got people of all age demographics in different job levels, uh, some of which are college educated, some are not, some have different motivations. Definitely, you know, our, my time at Anderson was a lot of young people, maybe just starting out getting married, people who could travel, work, however many hours they could. And then you go into the corporate world, it's a different concept. But I wanted to take that same kind of leadership style that Anderson created in me and bring it to the corporate world. So every company I went to, I tried to develop leaders underneath me to help take on responsibility so I could step up and help my companies do more. And so I kind of always retain that type of professional services culture, I guess. So the transition back was not that difficult for me, but it's definitely not something that everybody in corporate CFOs alike have been able to do, I think, just because, you know, it is, you know, in the corporate world, you're the CFO and you make decisions and people do what you say in a lot of cases, not always. I mean, you always have to inspire people to to want to do things instead of have to do things. And then you come back to the professional services and you're dealing with a lot of smart people and you're not always the smartest person by far (laughs) in the room. And you've got to figure out different ways to deal with coming back into a professional services and professional services have changed a lot in those 17 years that I was gone. It's a lot more experienced hires and it's a lot more dealing with how do you build a team when you have people now across all age demographics and diversity and everything to bring everybody together to support the common goals of your practice. You know, the, the thing that you keep consistently saying is it's about leadership. It's about developing people. And that is, you know, time and time again, the mindset of the top practice leaders that I see. It's about getting as much as you can and giving as much as you can to the people on your team. And I think you're right. Anderson did that incredibly well. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. 
Your hosts are Jason Malicki, Principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. I want to shift gears because I kind of took us off. It is back on track. So you've gone through yet another transaction and now you're part of Armanino. Yes. Help us understand the thinking behind that decision and what that looked like to you from a practice leader's perspective. Yeah. So again, I guess in, in my role, I wanted to always do more and be a, be a key component of the executive committee, helping us grow the firm. And so early on, our managing partner approached me about what we call in this industry, a potential upstream merger with a larger firm. And now it's well known, Armanino and Brownsmith Wallace were in the same more affiliation. We had worked together on a number of projects. There's a lot of similar cultures. So when I was first approached by the idea, I was pretty excited about it because I had really respected Armanino. They were the firm. Armanino was always in accounting today and other business periodicals as one of the most innovative and entrepreneurial firms in the industry, trying to do something different and grow to be a top 20, top 10 firm. So it didn't take long for me to get on board wanting to make this work. But as I go back to the challenges of working within a partnership, you know, we had to start thinking, okay, how are we going to get all of our partners on board? To start with, then how are we going to get our key leaders on board? And how are we going to get all of our people on board? And then how are we going to get all of our clients on board? It was a pretty daunting task to think about at the time. And I guess I will just say, to kind of long story short, it took two and a half years. I mean, it was a true merger. Of course, a little thing called COVID got in the way right in the middle of it that kind of put the brakes on and stalled things out. But actually, all that did was make it an even better process because our firm started working together even more during COVID, sharing best practice ideas, staying connected to try to work through the pandemic and all the challenges that that all accounting and professional services firms were dealing with. So we had an ally there and a partner that we could discuss ideas with. But, you know, being in that role, it was a very thought out strategic process of kind of bringing everybody along to understand the benefits of an upstream merger versus going it alone. And there was the upstream merger or go it alone and try to build it ourselves. Because as Jason said, we felt very confident we were going to hit that first strategic plan goal. When we said, okay, how are we going to get to that next tier? And just being a firm in St. Louis, you know, the partner started to understand this is going to be really challenging if we don't grow beyond St. Louis. So we're looking at those two different options as possibilities. And as we kept assessing the upstream merger opportunities with a firm that we felt was very aligned through our more network and with a lot of the same cultural industry focus, go to market, core values that we had, that uh, it just kept coming together that this is the best thing for our people and our clients. So we always came back and centered it on that. And I guess, you know, as a practice leader, professional services leader, any leader, those are probably the two most important pillars you've got to focus on is how how is this going to be the best thing for our people and our customers or clients? And so we always came back to that 
as we were going through the process. And it was a true merger. We worked through a lot of things over those two and a half years. And on August 1st of last year, we merged with the firm. You, you talk about I focus on clients and focus on, on your people really brings to a head one of the, the key functions of, of a practice leader. Bringing two firms together, you're going to have redundant practice leaders, I would think, and teams that you have to integrate. What was the process for reconciling the practices in the merger? Yeah, so that, that's a good question. And if you're following along in the news, there's a lot of consolidation going on in the accounting industries. There's, there was just at least one merger of equals, which basically says everyone, everyone probably has two practice leaders for every service that they're going to have to work through. And, you know, I guess the way we approached it was a lot of collaboration and a lot of discussions throughout the preparation of being merged. A lot of those things were discussed and worked out. I mean, not all of them had been all worked out and fleshed out as far as how everything was going to develop. I will say that in my new role and when I'm part of more of a national firm, I I see that that's some of the challenges that I never experienced when I was at Anderson is just being a part of a nationwide firm with service leaders all over the country. Where at Anderson, it seemed like the way the firm was managed, we had a managing partner of the St. Louis office. We had an audit and tax and consulting division head, and everything seemed to stay within that. And what I see with these with larger firms, and I think it's all across across the industry, is you have service leaders, you know, all over the country running their practices. And there can only be one practice leader. So you've got to work through those issues and get everybody then on board and inspired to be part of that team. And as other regional firms might be listening to this podcast and they're considering the same types of things. You're going to have some partners that are natural leaders that are put in leadership positions with an upstream merger. Or if you're looking at a merger of another firm, you've got to take into consideration those partners who consider themselves leaders, but might not necessarily end up in a leadership seat. Yeah, you raised a number of issues there. I wonder if what you said about Arthur Anderson is just a function of the, the changes in the economy over the last 20 years, right? It's like we've gone from such a regional f- focus to such an industry-specific, geographic, less focus. I noticed this 20 years ago with one of our first professional services firm's clients where they effectively had to have a matrix structure because they had to have local office leaders who were responsible for like managing an office. But then there was people that had to roll into different practices that were expertise specific that that cut across those geographies. So it just seems to me like that's a phenomenon that everybody's probably just challenging through. And it's never, there's probably never a clean answer to the question. Right. I'm sure every firm has their own solution to it, but it's it's like a tri-matrix of industry yeah. leaders, service line leaders, and geo leaders Yeah, that are all trying to balance and work towards the same goals of overall growing the, the firm and providing the best opportunities for our people and our clients by having those, those specialty expertise in different industries and services. Now you're in Armenino. Presumably the firm is probably twice the size or more than it was. I have no idea. It doesn't really matter. But the question is, what are the benefits that you think you've seen as a result of making the leap from you know smaller regional firm to much larger firm? How's your life changed as a practice leader? Well, so it was 
a challenge to try to sell services to people beyond St. Louis who didn't know who our firm was when you weren't a well-known firm. It's not just a challenge on the brand and the known, but you know you have constituents like board board members, investors, banks that want a well-known firm signing those reports. So as part of Armanino, we are a top 20 firm or I think the 18th largest firm in the country. That carries a lot of weight. So our branding still needs to improve because the firm was founded over 50 years ago in San Ramon, San Francisco, California area and grew up and down the coast and became the largest West Coast firm. And when we merged, we were the largest merger of the firm and we still have the largest office within the firm with over 300 people here in St. Louis. We've got firms in Chicago. We've got firms in Dallas, Austin, just recently completed a merger in Philly. We've got a a, a small firm in New York that merged with us. So now we are a nationwide firm and, you know, we're trying to develop and strengthen our geos along with our industry support across the country. So Brian, having done all of these transactions of your life as a finance leader, and now as a practice leader, what would you do differently knowing what you know now? Or I'll I'll put it a different way. What advice would you give to practice leaders who are going through or about to go through some kind of merger or acquisition or break through to that next level of growth? Well, I mean, to break through that next level of growth, you got to have a more strategic, visionary, longer-term mindset of, of stepping back and looking at the goals and the plans for the firm. So you've got to have a strategic plan that you're involved with. As a practice leader, I mean, you're always trying to figure out how to grow your practice. In the end, it always comes down to the people side. So you've always got to be looking to attract and retain the best talent possible to help grow your practice, to provide the services for your clients to grow. But I'm sitting here as you ask that question. I mean, the things that you've got to take into account just to grow the overall firm, you know, are are just the challenges of the people. But when you're looking at a potential upstream merger, you've got to kind of, at least I feel like you've got to put your own what's in it for me aside and just stay focused on what's the best thing for my people and my clients. Because if you stay focused on that and that becomes a reality, it will probably hopefully take care of what's in it for me as an individual. And it it just puts me in a better position knowing that I've done something that's the best thing for my people and my clients. I go back to the question Jason answered. One of the other things that I've seen that has changed tremendously as being part of a top 20 firm is having all the services of a top 20 firm across the country that we've been able to bring to our clients that we didn't have as a regional firm. And so it's 100% created so much opportunities for our clients to help them grow and deal with the issues that they were having to deal with. In some cases, they might have been going outside and getting services from someone else where they would have preferred to have their local service relationship leaders bring those to them. And now we're able to do that. It's opened up doors to help companies that would not have considered us, like I said, the top 20 concept. They wouldn't have considered a Brown Smith Wallace because they would have considered us not large enough for their investors or their bank or their shareholders or board to approve that. And then finally, the people aspect. Again, when we we talked about the challenges earlier on with how do we create uh, the growth 
to provide the benefits and the opportunity, not just the, the dollars, but the personal growth for our people. Being part of a bigger firm creates so many opportunities for more leadership opportunities within the firm and to be involved in committees across the firm, relationship building across the firm. That's what's amazing to see some of our people who have really levitated to that and really seeing that there's so many more opportunities to be part of a bigger firm. You know, not the least of, oh, I'd like to move to Denver. Okay, we have a Denver office. I would like to move to California. We have offices there. I mean, that's always a nice thing to have. But in the end, you know, the opportunities for our people to just grow and personally develop into leaders is going to be even greater at a, at a firm like Armanino. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. We're up on time here, Jeff. So I think what we should do is let's just give Brian one last question, like a burning question that we haven't asked yet. I don't know if you have one that you want to cover that we haven't hit. I really like his message of kind of words to live by. Just, you know, what's in the best interest of your clients and your people. It's almost like that's kind of like a recurring theme of this episode and a recurring theme of this podcast in general. It's like, you know, selflessness. But What's one last question that we have not? No, I'm, I'm not going to enter into a last question. <laughs> You'll make me feel bad for asking it. <laughs> Why would I do that? All right. Uh, so, Brian, then I guess I have one last question. And my question is this. As a practice leader, you know, we, we have a lot of marketers that listen to our podcast. So what's one thing you would say to the marketing leaders that you work with that would make your life easier? How could they help you that they're not helping you now? Marketing leaders. Well, we have a really strong marketing group in Armenino. Part of their private equity industry leadership, I have a, a super strong marketing leader that sits on my team. And maybe that's the one thing that resonates when you first ask that question is make sure your marketing leaders are on your leadership team because they can help you with so many different things from branding to the way to send messages properly to help help you grow when you're trying to reach out and attract new audiences. I go to a lot of conferences and trade shows and my marketing leader helps with all of those aspects of it, along with the follow-up and the communication, the nurturing campaign. So, I mean, marketing should be looked at almost as important as HR leadership as well, you know, to making sure because you've always got to get, have the people to attract and retain to be able to service your clients. But marketing can play a, a key role on being part of that leadership team. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I know that our marketing leaders are going to be highly appreciative of that because it's rare that they get to, you know, someone to say, we'd like you to have a more strategic, more leadership oriented involvement than you do. So, well, Brian, thank you for joining us. I really enjoyed it. It was really interesting to hear the, the growth story and sort of all the, the ins and outs and nuances of what it takes to grow a practice and then grow a firm and all the different you know, directions you've gone to do that and what it's done for you and the, the people and the clients that you work with around you over the last seven or eight years. So it was a pleasure. Well, thanks. I enjoyed it, guys. Thanks, Mr. Griff. All right. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher. <laughs>